Before we get into the show, I have a little reminder for you. As you may already know, The Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers. Besides subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America, you can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. And in return, you'll get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind the scenes content, as well as a shout out here on our podcast. And today, I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Peter Abramson, Michael Fryer, Jim Awofadeju, David Dixon, Felipe Saito, José Ozi Stankovic, Gabriela Greff Innes, Emerging Market Muser, Yarden Iftach, Tornika Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffren, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you're like them and believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, just head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. And if you can't make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. We appreciate all your support. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. On Monday night, President Bolsonaro's communications minister Fabio Faria and campaign coordinator Fabio Weingarten held an impromptu press conference outside the president's office, promising to deliver bombastic information that could turn the election on its head. A campanha do presidente Jair Bolsonaro teve a menos no Brasil 154.085 sessões de rádio. They claimed that radio stations around Brazil had not been broadcasting mandatory free-to-air ads from Jair Bolsonaro's campaign, alleging that over 150,000 30-second ads were not played. The problem, however, is that they issued no proof to back up these allegations. A complaint made to the Superior Electoral Court was quickly thrown out, with head judge Alexandre de Moraes saying that the president's campaign would have to come up with, quote, serious evidence or documents. Indeed, with only days to go until the crucial runoff election, President Bolsonaro has gone to great lengths to suggest that electoral authorities are pushing the needle in favour of his opponent and the election favourite, former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. But, in actual fact, the election isn't taking place on a level playing field, because President Bolsonaro is taking advantage of his power to use the Brazilian state as an electoral tool, often while breaking the law himself. I'm Ewan Marshall, editor of The Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. For the first part of today's discussion, we're going to look at exactly how Jair Bolsonaro has sought to load the dice in his favour ahead of Sunday's election. And to do that, we reached out to Beatriz Hay, a political scientist, SNF Agora visiting fellow at Johns Hopkins University and a columnist at The Brazilian Report. Beatriz, hello, lovely to have you back on the show. As I mentioned in the introduction, we've been hearing a lot about President Bolsonaro making use of the, what they call in Brazil, the public machine for electoral gains. Now, I mean, this might be a bit of a diffuse concept to some of our listeners, so if you could enlighten us as to what the government has been up to, perhaps giving us some examples. Sure. Um, so even before the first round, what we're observing is that 
President Jair Bolsonaro is using the state apparatus uh, to increase his reelection chances. Uh, what does that mean? For instance, he uh, instituted the payment of a cash transfer program called Auxilio Brasil um, within the forbidden uh, period as per the electoral uh, law. Uh, he has been uh, acting to decrease the price of gas. Uh, he even declared a, a artificial state of emergency in the country in, able, in order to do that. Um, and, and now he's uh, also using the state banks to give people loans uh, in, with interest rates that are not so advantageous, but uh, I think people, are, uh, people in Brazil are having uh, debt problems, so uh, that also targets that sector of the population. And that's what we mean by the, the political machine. He's, use, he's really using the state um, in a way that no other president since democratization has used. But let me make this clear. Uh, this has The use of the state apparatus has happened since 85, but not to the, to, with the frequency and the magnitude that President Bolsonaro is doing this time. And as you mentioned at the start there, you know, is this legal? Because I know that governments aren't allowed to create new welfare benefits in an election year, but you know, has Bolsonaro found a loophole here, or is, or is it just illegal all the same? No, it's it's illegal, and I'm uh, talking to you and looking at the the electoral law, and it says that in the three months that um, before the election, prior to the election, you cannot do any spending like a voluntary transfer uh, from the federal government to states and municipalities. Uh, it, it's in the law, um, but he didn't disrespect only um, the electoral law. There were uh, spending laws that he disrespected when he uh, enacted a bunch of these measures uh, prior to the first term. Uh, it's not legal. He's, <laughs> the institutions are not working. Um, he's doing that all of that without any constraint or anybody um, telling him that he shouldn't do it. And, I mean, we've seen Brazil's top electoral court being pretty hands-on with social media misinformation, drawing, you know, anger from both campaigns and leading to some questions about whether they are actually overstepping their legal bounds. But then here we seem to have an explicit electoral crime. And what are they doing about it? I don't know. Uh, that's the million-dollar question. Uh, I really think that the, the electoral court is overloaded um, with fake news and uh all of the Bolsonaro uh, online uh, digital militia pressuring it uh, to take action in one way or another. Uh, but that's not an excuse, right? Um, I don't know. I think I think that, that the electoral court is being is, is being forced to be very careful uh, so that to not generate uh, uh, pushback from. Bolsonaro and his supporters, but that in itself speaks about the weakness of institutions, right? And how do you think these measures have influenced the campaign, if at all? It's hard to say, and um, I don't know. Uh, there is some evidence that it might have played a role um, prior to the first term or right after it, but it's hard to say. Like, It's not the only thing that the government is doing, right? Um, it's also mobilizing people with the anti-PT sentiment that is very much present in Brazilian society. Um, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to separate these things right now. I think we're going to 
know more and more uh, after the election. And on the Brazilian report, we've discussed the incumbency bias in Brazil's elections. You know, might this be where it comes from? Because, I mean, when you have a far-reaching state that can be milked for everything it's worth by whoever's in charge at the time, it's hard to overcome that and beat that in a vote, right? Yeah, and I mean, that's true for any election, right? Um, and not in Brazil, in any country. Like here in the United States, it's if the incumbent is always uh, a favorite because and it doesn't, the, the person, the candidate doesn't even need to, to, to use the state apparatus. It has more exposure just by the fact that it's an elected official. <laughs> so it's being covered by the press. Uh, it has space uh, as an elected official that the, the candidate who's out of the government doesn't have. Uh, but what we're seeing right now is something of another, uh, it's another monster, right? It's, it's something else what we're seeing in Brazil right now. Um, and I think uh, we, we saw some extent of that here in the U.S. When, um, when President Trump was trying to get reelected. He did try to use, for instance, uh, his time when he was supposed to be acting president to, to do campaign. Uh, I think President Trump really pushed the permanent campaign status of the U.S. presidency to an extreme, uh, but nothing of the sort of what's being done in Brazil. And I think there's an interesting point to be made here because, you know, for example, as you mentioned, the increase of the Auxilio Brasil benefits to 600 reais and the promises to keep that going. But at the same time, the government's budget plan only foresees the benefit at 450 reais after the new year. And then in the case of Petrobras, the fuel prices seem to be held down artificially in Brazil and will no doubt shoot up after the vote. And, you know, with all this vociferous benefit spending, you know, that surely means cutbacks as well. You know, we've seen the education and health budget plan for next year and, you know, they're cut to the bone. And we've also had the leaked economic plan from Paulo Gedges to freeze the minimum wage, to stop health care and tuition deductions from income tax. You know, is there a point where this deleterious effect of the demagoguery will sink in for the population? Could that moment come before the election or, you know, maybe has it already happened? Uh, I mean, it's just a matter of when. Um, it's not a question of, uh, of maybe. It will. Um, They're officially holding the price of gas. They are spending money they don't have. Uh, we still don't know what the size of the the deficit is in the budget. Um, we know that there has been cut. There have been cuts and here and there in important social uh, social policy areas. Uh, so to me, it's just a question of when. Uh, and keep in mind that if Bolsonaro loses the election on Sunday, he might just do a bunch of other crazy stuff um, just for the, the sake of it, um, because he's leaving. So I think uh, if uh, President Lula is elected and takes office next year, they're going to have a big, big problem with the budget. Well, yesterday we had um, the the head of the Bolsonaro campaign and the Minister of Communications in front of uh, the presidential palace. Um, I don't know if that's the right word, palace, but um, I think you and the listeners know what I mean. Uh, claiming that there was there has been some unfair um, broadcasting in the Northeast for Lula. Uh, so we're heading into a campaign that folks in the U.S. Uh, will be familiar uh, with, which is the Four Seasons Total Landscaping phase of the presidential election in Brazil. I think um, if uh, President Bolsonaro loses, the, 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 he and his supporters and his campaign will assort, attempt to 
uh, question the, the results of the election, despite the fact that um, the, the votes that they received in the first round came from the same uh, ballot, right? Um, I don't I don't think that he will be successful in that, but he will try to create chaos. That's what I'm expecting. Beatriz, thanks very much. And we remind our listeners that Beatriz Hay will be one of many special guests joining myself and the Brazilian Report Editor-in-Chief Gustavo Ribeiro on Sunday, October 30th, as we go live to discuss the Brazilian election results. The broadcast begins as soon as polls close at 5pm Brazil time, and we'll give you all the results as they come in, as well as analysis on what to expect from the country in the months and years that follow, regardless of who is elected president. We hope to see you there. And after the break, a nefarious side to Bolsonaro's economic campaign populism in the shape of a scandal uncovered by our very own Amanda Aldi. Stay tuned. Beatriz Hay alluded to it briefly during the first part of today's episode, but one of the most notable instances of the Bolsonaro government taking advantage of its control over the state apparatus to gain electoral support, it came a few weeks ago when public bank Caixa announced that it would begin offering paycheck deduction loans to some of Brazil's poorest citizens, those who received benefits from the Alcido Brasil cash transfer scheme. Now, this measure was panned by experts from the outset who warned that the loans were essentially debt traps being set for some of the country's most vulnerable households. Needy citizens would you know, be able to get a short-term injection of cash, potentially enough for them to vote for the government, but in exchange for medium to long-term financial hardship. But here at the Brazilian Report, our Brazilian correspondent Amanda Algi uncovered that the issue goes much deeper than that. Amanda, it's great to have you on the show and congratulations for the scoop. I'm sure listeners are desperate to know the details, but before we get into it, just tell us a little bit about this government programme. What is a paycheck deduction loan and why have some people been calling them debt traps? Hi, Ewan. Thanks for the invite. So basically, these loans are charged directly from the source. What that means is that for beneficiaries of the Auxilio Brasil cash transfer program, up to 40% of their benefits will be discounted each month to repay the loan. The reason that it has been called a debt trap is that these families are already in severe financial need. Adding loans to debt with interest of more than 50% a year could end up making their situation even worse. And just a reminder to our listeners that 53.1% of Brazilian households are currently in debt. But it gets worse, right? I mean, tell us what you found. We received documents that show that banking correspondents, which are professionals that intermediate banking services between financial institutions and the population, had access to data from millions of Brazilians who receive welfare benefits from the government, and that they were using this information to offer paycheck deduction loans to citizens. Right, it's one thing for a public bank to offer loans, it's another thing entirely to try and flog them to financially vulnerable citizens. Yeah, and it's another thing to give massive amounts of private data to third parties in order to do that. So you said that this is data from the Auxilio Brasil program. What kind of information are we talking about here and you know where must they have got it from? We are talking about very specific data. 
The documents we had access to include people's full name, address, home phone numbers, cell phone numbers, their tax IDs, and even something called a NIS number, which is an individual government ID for citizens. Experts told us that only government agencies have access to data with this level of detail, either from public bank caixa, the citizenship ministry, or Dataprev, the state-owned company in charge of the payroll for welfare benefits. Wow, I mean, that's huge. And I mean, how were you able to confirm that this was actually the private info of Auxilio Brasil beneficiaries? Well, first, I looked at the spreadsheets we received and selected people from different states around the country, cross-checking them against info on public databases. To give listeners an idea, you can use government transparency databases to find out if people receive Auxilio Brasil benefits, how much they receive, and confirm their tax IDs and NIS numbers. To confirm telephone numbers, I got in contact with the people. The vast majority use WhatsApp, so I asked if they have been approached to take out loans, and the vast majority said yes. Now, Brazil has data protection laws, and they say that governments can't use data from citizens without their express consent. And I mean, if this information has been passed on to third parties for sales purposes, you know, that goes way beyond an electoral crime. That's, that's a massive scandal. Yes, and the source who gave us access to these documents has been working in the field for 20 years and said he never seen anything like it before. He said that it was the first time he received such detailed data. And I can tell you that people should never have been consulted about this. Not only is it a violation of data protection, but the regulations for this type of loan forbid any active search for clients. And when did these third parties get their hands on this data? Do we know? We heard reports that this began in June, but the spreadsheet we had access to are dated to the beginning of July. So that would suggest that the program has been planned for months and, you know, was conveniently launched just a couple of weeks before the election. That sounds a bit fishy, right? Yes, and this week the Federal Accounts Court called for the suspension of the loans after public prosecutors said the speech at which they were being granted could favor Bolsonaro politically. In fact, the most recent data from Poster Data Folha shows that Bolsonaro gained seven points among Auxilio Brasil beneficiaries, while Lula lost six points. And what has the government said in response? The Citizenship Ministry, Caixa and Dataprev all denied knowledge of any data leak. Well, Amanda, this story has been shared far and wide, so much so that we've put a free-to-read Portuguese version up on our website. Congratulations once again. Great work. Thanks. Once again, I'd like to remind you that The Brazilian Report will be live this Sunday, October 30th, to cover the presidential election results. The broadcast will begin at 5pm Brazil time. That's as soon as the polls close. We've got some excellent special guests lined up. We're going to break down the results as they come in. We're going to discuss all the challenges Brazil will face in the coming years, whether that be under Jair Bolsonaro or under Lola. And we hope to see you there. And if you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a second and it will help us reach a broader audience. Or, better yet, sign up for The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. 
Thanks to our subscribers, we've been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively. And for our work, we've been shortlisted for two entries in the Online Journalism Awards, which are decided by the ONA, the Online News Association. And in order to keep doing that work, we need your support. So go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening. Explaining Brazil will be back next week.